HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome to HRN on Tour at South by Southwest 2023. I am Christine Sykes-Lowe, and today I am joined by Philip Wolf. Philip, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Philip. Philip is a widely recognized cannabis pioneer, educator, and visionary. He's a 14-year legal cannabis industry veteran who started out opening medical dispensaries and cultivations in 2009. Since his cultivation days, the legal cannabis market expanded, and so did he. Through his curiosity, new understandings of what was unfolding, and extensive knowledge of cannabis, Philip discovered to do the work he was born to do, open the minds of Americans on how to optimize their legal cannabis consumption, showcasing his knowledge through experiential education in the form of celebration, ritual, and elevated dining. After departing his consulting company, he founded Cultivating Spirits in 2014, which was the first company in the U.S. to offer legal cannabis dinners to the general public. Philip has, has been featured in CBS Nightly News to Time. He's appeared in viral Facebook videos with over 12 million views and starred in an episode of the popular TV 
Bong Appetit on Viceland. Thanks for being with me. Yeah, you're welcome. Christine. I really appreciate we could coordinate this. And, you know, um, first of all, is this your first year at South by or are you a veteran? This is, uh, I was at South by Southwest last year, but just for the uh, some after parties and events. Okay. This was my first year going to the conference and was very honored to have my own presentation at it. And let's talk a little bit about that presentation. What was the title and what did you cover in it? It was the art of cannabis and food pairings is what I spoke about. And, you know, I really used food and cannabis as a way to educate people on how they can optimize their life through cannabis. And this is has been built from my experience of cultivating spirits, you know, the first company in the United States to offer legal cannabis dinners in which I've served over 3,500 people. And taking that knowledge, I was originally building a cannabis sommelier course years ago with this. And as I've grown and as I've understood how you can use this plant to benefit your life, we really use it. We really, really use the time to be able to uh, or use this experience to create a body of work in which I'm able to teach people how they can optimize their life. So legal cannabis dinners, you would, you would think that at this point, um, this is something many people are doing, but you were the pioneer pretty much for it. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I was lucky to be a white man in Colorado at the time of legalization, you know? Um, and that, was a very privileged, you know, I'm very privileged to have the opportunities that I have because there's still people who are locked in jail for this, you know? Yes. And that is, I mean, it's so sad and it's it's so unfortunate. And I invite people to look at companies like Last Prisoner Project to see how they can help. But they, um, so I was at this prosperous of time where cannabis was coming into legalization for the first time in the United States and what was going to come? You know, how is this going to unfold? And I had a lot of extensive background of cultivating the plant. And my mind opened up to all these insulary businesses that were coming down the pipeline mm-hmm. with legalization. And by fate, I met a Wall Street banker who was, you know, quote unquote, going to be the first cannabis billionaire at the time. And he didn't know anything about cannabis, but he knew a lot about business. And I started working with him at that time. And my mind just exploded with ideas of, wow, this is what it's going to look like potentially. And, you know, this is a a guy in his mid twenties at the time. And that was a really powerful time period of creativity, of curiosity. And I was, I loved connecting with people. You know, Mm -hmm. that was one of my favorite things. And After being at a wine experience in Barcelona a few weeks before dispensaries opened up in Colorado, it was like, wow, this is how we tap into mainstream America is creating an experience that I was having with wine culture in Barcelona, but translating something for cannabis. And the question back then was, how do we tap into the soccer mom? You know, that was kind of like what we always, a lot of people said, I thought through food, we could do that. And... What I did not know at that time was how genius the concepts we were and we came up with, how genius those were and how those are resonating today in society. And now it's becoming something that's in demand. It's becoming something that people are seeking out. I remember doing, um, you know, search engine optimization for cultivating spirits, you know, almost 10 years ago, right? When SEO is 
starting to become a thing. And they're like, oh, marijuana tour Denver. That's what people are looking for. And I was like, no, no, no. You have to, like, we're doing this. And these cannabis pairings are like, they're like, 50 people searched for that last month. I was like, I know because it's not a thing yet, but we're going to make it a thing. We are going to make this a thing. And, you know, thank goodness because now if you, you know, if you Google anything like that, we're like the first page to come up. So that just speaks to how people did not think this was going to be a thing, but holding that vision that, people would would really enjoy this because not only does it, you know, do we explore exquisite tastes and these, the culinary arts, but we really educate people through the culinary arts of how you can use this plant to unlock potential in your life. And you have a partnership with uh, Fairmont Hotel Group, correct? For these dinners. So if you could walk the layperson through what they would experience, is it is it through edibles or is there smoking or what? How do you, how, how is yeah. it paired? So we do, um, everything we do is through smoking and this okay. is for a number of reasons. So what a lot of people don't realize is when you, when you eat cannabis, when you ingest it right through an edible or an infused food, same thing, but it, um, takes it, time. Well, but it also, it metabolizes into 11 hydroxy THC, which is a completely different feeling. It's like a completely different compound um, that is something that a lot of people prefer. And for me, the I, smoking is the feeling that I prefer. And it's also makes sense for a dinner party because you feel the effects immediately opposed to feeling the effects one hour, two hours down the line, almost when the dinner's done. And there's also a lot more variables whenever you ingest cannabis than, um, and less variables with smoking. So, and there's more reasons beyond that of why we do pairings, but that's, that's, a, that's a big, that's a piece of knowledge that people need to understand because people don't understand. People are like, Oh, I smoke a joint every day. And then they eat an edible and they're just thrown for a curveball that they didn't expect. And they don't have a pleasant experience. And you, because they associate, oh, I can smoke a joint, then I have the tolerance for this. But no, it's a, it's and why is that? You feeling. say it's metabolized differently. Yeah, because it processes through the liver, and smoke processes through the blood-brain barrier. Okay. So when it processes through the liver, it turns from delta nine THC to eleven hydroxy THC, and so that's it gives you a completely different feeling. But I will say, what we do with our pairings is we pair terpene profiles of cannabis with flavor profiles of food to harmonize and enhance. And through that, we um, educate people on terpenes, which are aromas that are found in all flowers. Whenever you smell a flower, you're smelling terpenes. They exist within all plants. In the natural world, they are used to attract pollinators and detract predators. But with cannabis, it actually gives you the type of mood you're going to be in. So I imagine most people listening to this know what THC is. And THC gives you this high euphoric effect. But it doesn't, it's not what makes you feel awake or feel tired. That's, that's the terpenes. And there's so many degrees or layers, if you will, of feelings in between just being sedative and, and, and being energized, right? And so we will pair the terpene profiles of cannabis, but teach people how they can identify what type of high they're going to have before they even consume by using the aromas by using the physical attributes of cannabis. So therefore you can consume something that's going to enhance your experience opposed to consume something that's going to take away from your experience. So we do this on the platform of food, but we really teach people how they can become a better consumer 
how they can use cannabis to potentially uplift certain aspects of their life beyond the principle of pleasure, beyond pain management, and beyond sleep aid, which most people associate, that's why we use cannabis. And that's a great reason to use cannabis. And there's a lot of medical purposes to use cannabis. I'm not a doctor. I come from more of the lifestyle standpoint. Right. And so how do you use cannabis to enhance your art? How do you use cannabis to connect with nature? How do you use cannabis to enjoy food more? How do you use cannabis to drop in with some friends in good conversation? Anything that you do, how can you use cannabis to enhance that or, or to know not to consume because that doesn't align with what your goal is. And, and that's a big part of it too, is like to not consume, you know, and, and, but to know why you're going to say no to consuming or at that time. get the option. So sure. on that, on that point, you know, you're obviously an advocate in your opinion, how long do you think it'll take for this just to be legal across the country? So Bob Hoban is a, a, a big lawyer in the cannabis space, and I heard him speak of the United Nations. He's also a dear friend. This made so much sense to me when I heard it. What is the why that the United States would legalize it? Is it social justice? More the democratic side of things? Is it um, for economic benefits? Is it for medical benefits? Healing? Um, and America just can't seem to align on the same reason of why some of these other countries that are legalizing, like Germany's really moving forward and they're all about the medical benefits and they want to be, they want to be pioneers on, on that side or advance that same thing with Israel. They are, Israel is kind of the pioneers up to this point and the medical and shout out to Dr. Raphael Machulam who just passed away a couple days ago, who actually was the uh, he was 92 years old and, and founded THC, the molecule. And it was an Israeli doctor, and he just passed away. So uh, a legend that will be sorely missed, and a lot of people owe a lot to that man. But we're getting back to the why. And to me, this is a plan that benefits people's li lives, though, but I don't think that is ever going to be the why in the United States. Yeah. So maybe someone, a little bit of each thing, but yeah, it has to be a singular it, reason for everyone to unite is it, what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And during my talk yesterday or two days ago, someone asked me about, you know, the state of Texas specifically in which we reside at today for this interview and the, the um, industrial prison complex is huge in the state of Texas. You know, there's more people incarcerated in Texas than any other state. There's more people incarcerated in the United States than any other country. So this is a big revenue driver, and it's a big revenue driver for the state of Texas. So is something that would potentially take away from that is are the politicians and are the lobbyists going to really pitch for cannabis, or are they going to stay like, oh, no, this, this makes our lives good putting people in behind bars, which is so sad, but we are in a capitalistic society and unfortunately money rules because mm. of that. So these are the complexities we look at when we think about legalization. Everyone thought Joe Biden was going to legalize and everyone feels crushed that he didn't. And not only crushed that he didn't, there, there literally has been no movement. We still don't have baking. There's been like 12 safe baking acts that have failed and it makes no sense. 
It's still scheduled one substance. A scheduled one narcotic means that it has no medicinal value. And Biden said something about, well, we need the science. Science at its most basic form is observation. Right. You can talk to a lot of people who've been healed from this plant. So I, so I wish I could tell you when it's going to be legalized. I have no idea. I know. It's a big, it's a big question mark, but I love hearing your take on and true facts, really, surrounding it. I mean, much more information than I have personally, but you're following it. Yeah. Very closely. Yeah, absolutely. Because this plant can make change in the world, especially if we use it beyond those three areas that I mentioned before. Because we don't want to talk about people like if I say the term expanded consciousness, right? Everyone's like, whoa, what do you you know? That's far out. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's simplify. Let's let's simplify that term. Consciousness means awareness. If we're high and our awareness goes outside of our normal thoughts, then by simple definition, that's expansion of consciousness. And so now, if we, whoever wants to judge expanded consciousness being good or bad, that's, that's not me. But by simple basic, that is, that's what is happening with, with this plant. So all of a sudden, we're looking at certain environmental problems through a different lens. We're looking at certain political problems with a different lens. We're looking at what artists have been doing for a long time by using cannabis with a different lens. And, and look at the beauty that's come from that. And I believe if we potentially get away from this scary word of high or expansion or that we can open up something in ourselves that has a lot of potential to do good in this world. That's a good segue into my next question for you. You, you have done work in Haiti. Yeah. I would love you to briefly kind of touch on, I know that maybe there's nothing brief about it because there's a lot of different elements of what you did to uh, help people. Sure. So kind of go into that a little bit. Yeah. I could, I could spend a couple of minutes on be, that. It could probably <laughs> be like three or four well, interviews. Yeah. Let's just see. Um, you know, so I'll just start off with this. The people of Haiti have done more for me than I've done for the people of Haiti because they showed me that we don't need all of these bells and whistles in our lives to be happy, to see people happy with the simplicity of community connection and with just living and, and the arts is, was really eye opening to me. And to see, and saying that it is poverty down there and it is bad. And there is basic needs that are not even serviced. And to see people's strength, to seize people's tenacity, to see people who have that strength and tenacity to be such soft, gentle people at the same time, it touches my heart a lot. And so I was blessed enough to start a health and leadership camp in the Dominican Republic in 2012 for these children in neighboring villages in the Dominican Republic. And from that, I got introduced to this project in Haiti that was just kind of being explored at the time. And I got to go over with a dear friend of mine to do a feasibility report. And when we did that feasibility report, we're going around Haiti visiting with doctors during the height of the cholera, cholera outbreak, which was two years after. And unfortunately, there's now another cholera outbreak. But 
Um, ironically, the United Nations brought cholera to Haiti, and it's proven um, from a ship dumping its sewage in a river. And seeing people in tents outside of a hospital dying, I mean, there's, yeah, it's, it's tough. And so while we're interviewing these doctors, I was frustrated because I was hearing the same old kind of diplomatic kind of, you know, like, you know, thing from, you know, from these medical officials. So I was like, I was out in the street with a translator and like crowds of people. And it was just very clear that it was just, we need access. And at the time I was making, you know, I was making a good living cultivating once I started, you know, pioneering the hospitality space, I wasn't making a good living anymore. But when I was cultivating, I was. And I felt that I could raise the money. I was like, oh, I can get $50,000 from friends to, like, open up this, this facility. And what I realized that they, because when we were down there, we are like, okay, we want to open this clinic in this certain area. And that's what was discovered by the feasibility report. And from that, we realized that we realized that um, we couldn't just provide a clinic. We really had to partner with community organizations to build it together. It wasn't us saying, hey, this is what you need, because as a white American, that was very ingrained into, I know what's best. And to go and listen, and I, and I must say, like my fiery personality like didn't accept all of that at the time. There was a huge growth process for myself throughout all of this. But we realized, and, and also led by some incredible partners and leadership within the organization, Luis Lindemeyer especially, um, and it was we had to build this in partnership. And so we, it took two years opposed to six months, and, and then my life was fully in, in, ingrained with it for a couple of years. And now we've expanded to this really big micro-philanthropic organization. We've opened up a birthing center. We have a residency for Haitian doctors who are studying. Uh, we have a mountain mobile clinic. There's a cervical screening program that's for the public. Um, and it's incredible. Honestly, it's, it's moved on past kind of my skill set. You know, we have a big board that's built out with doctors and lawyers and medical professionals. And so I'm still on it because I know on the board and serve as the vice president but my um, impact is not what it used to be because we have all of these professionals who this is their career. And as everyone who's listening to this interview right now, they understand where my career is at and, and where I'm headed. But you got the ball rolling, and that's the, that's the most important part. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not afraid to put something on my back, and let's go. So you... you actually got tapped a couple of years ago to serve on the Rolling Stone Culture Council. Yeah. Super curious. What does that involve? <laughs> the Rolling Stone Culture Council is, um, it's basically a, it's, it's a council of people that are put together by Rolling Stone magazine and they are, uh, exist within, um, kind of cannabis tech, uh, music, the arts and people who own businesses that are influential in those spaces. And it gives me an opportunity to share my voice more through yeah. articles I actually just published an article about a week ago of what you can learn about cannabis through food. People can Google that if they want to check it out. And that also comes along with, you and know, that's on, Rolling, that's on Rolling Stone. Yeah, rollingstone.com. Okay. So yeah, okay. just Google Rolling Stone and like cannabis and food education or something like that. Okay. I'm sure it will pop up. And then um, within that, and within that there is, um, 
you know, perks where we get to, where we're able to, you know, network with certain professionals that we might not be able to network with and um, have certain sort of perks that, you know, we get for being associated with Rolling Stone. And uh, so really honored to be able to be included in that um, and to really ultimately share my voice and share my expression. And that's what I enjoy about it so much. And uh, I must say, I, I push Rolling Stone a little bit with some of the, I, I tried to do the whole consciousness is, a, if consciousness is awareness article a while back and they denied it. But, um, you know, just to hold a lot of gratitude for even being able to have those conversations with Rolling Stone, right? Yeah. Having the voice, exactly. having the voice serving as an advisor of sorts and yeah. I mean, let's just be real. It just sounds really cool, too. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so Rolling Stone called me in 2015, and they were like, we want to do an article on, on cannabis pairings. And the journalist was like, yeah, I actually think these are bunk. She was, and I've been to, like, three or four parties, and they were wonderful parties. Everyone was great, but there was no legitimacy behind what was happening. And I was like, whoa, 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 don't. I was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. I'm like you're just going to people who are throwing parties and they're putting the name cannabis pairing on it. Let me come visit with you and like take you through this. And so the first two thirds of the article was kind of demystifying, um, cannabis pairings. And then I like come in at the end and it's like, Oh, okay. Like this can be a thing. And it's just like wine. You know, if you want to train your palate to go here, you can, if you just want to enjoy your wine, you can, but getting that call from Rolling Stone in 2015 was like one of those, breadcrumbs of like keep going keep, keep going. going you're doing you're keep on the going. right path yep. yeah and and now you know being able to be published on rolling stone you know for my first article was really special and just i hold a lot of gratitude for being able to share my voice and, and being here at heritage radio network right now sharing my voice with you you know it's it's uh all i ask for honestly because my goal in this world is to try to make a better world. And so by being able to share my voice, I believe can give people a place to listen or a place to look at, to, you know, potentially open something up in them to, to do that. Well, you're thanking heritage radio. We're thanking you. Uh, Thanks for sitting here and taking the time to chat with me and us. And one more thing, if, if somebody wants to follow you, find out how they can uh, get involved in what you're doing or maybe attend a dinner, if they're in a area that you're having a dinner, where, where sure. would they follow you? So first off, um, if you're in a legal state, you can you can book us. So okay. it's primarily Colorado, but you know travel fees and stuff like that, we can come to other legal states. So we can do a dinner anywhere in the United States. We have a network of chefs that we work with because I come in as what I call a kashom, which is a server and steward of cannabis. And that's someone who's going to guide you and host the dinner. And I work with chefs that are regional. And I always tell, I have, I have so many little projects and everything. So I always tell people, if you're on Instagram, fill up with one L underscore wolf, just like the animal underscore. That has my link tree to everything else. So cultivatingspirits.com, kashom.org, which kashom is the body of work I've been building out with this knowledge that we can actually educate people to have the understanding and the tools of cannabis that I have so they can use it for themselves to become an excellent consumer or so they have tools to actually guide people through whatever it is in their profession, which can be the culinary arts. It can also be event production. It can also be life coaching, yoga teachers, entrepreneurs, content creators. There's a lot of 
there's a lot of professionals or a lot of careers out there that can take the knowledge that I have, apply it to what they do for their clients and create a really unique offering for them through that knowledge. So we don't want to limit, even though my platform is food, we don't want to limit the platforms in which this knowledge can be applied to and do incredible work. Well, again, thank you. That sounds awesome, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it just, you know, it just keeps going on. It's like there's nothing it can't be applied to, really. Um, We appreciate you sitting down with us. Thank you again. Absolutely. And thank you for listening to HRN's coverage of South by Southwest 2023. You can listen to all of our coverage on our podcast, HRN on Tour. Find it on heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.